I want us to turn to Mark chapter uh, 14, verse 3 through 9. I believe today is a great day. Whether you're brand new here at Anchor Bend or you've been here since the beginning, I really prayed about what God wanted me to share on today. Um, and so I believe that if you'll open your heart, you'll open your, your mind, really be receptive. The thing that I always look at, and this is every week, is God, what do you want me to receive in this service? And so I want you to be open and say, God, show me, teach me. My job as your pastor is to really capitalize on moments that God brings to us as a church corporately and then even individually. And today is one of those moments that as a church, it's really a divine setup that God uses this to really catapult us forward with the vision that he has, not only for the church, but for our lives individually. You have to remember when sometimes people say, well, that's the church. No, you're the church. We're the church. So if God wants to do anything in a city, how many know, or a region or the world, he first has to do it in and through you. And so we have to receive, say, okay, God, you're, you're, not, you're not talking about just the big church and you're talking about me because it funnels through me. Everything that we do makes the impact for the church and the body of Christ at large. And today's message is really, I really believe I'm on assignment. And so we're going to go into Mark chapter 14, verse 3 through 9. Uh, if you're new to Christianity, this is one of the four Gospels. Mark is one of the four Gospels. These are the books that tell of Jesus and his works while he is here on this earth. And many times the stories that you read in one Gospel, you can read in another Gospel as well. And we're going to pick up the story of Mark's version of the woman who gave the alabaster jar. Uh, as we start off in verse 3, I want you to know Jesus is in Bethany. Uh, this is important. His location is important because it's right before the Passover. It's right before the festival of unleavened bread. And so the religious are there. And if you're familiar with the gospels and the story of Jesus, this is a time when they are scheming to take Jesus's life. Now, you know, nobody could take his life. He gave his life. And so we find ourselves in this scenario and we pick up in verse three. What we see is that they're in Bethany and Jesus is actually reclining at the table in the home of Simon the leper. Now, if you're familiar, you would know that Simon didn't have leprosy because if he had leprosy, they wouldn't be eating in his home. They wouldn't be reclining at his table. So the reason they say Simon the leper is because he must have been a leper. But God, through Jesus, healed Simon in that moment. And so whether it was that moment, the moments before, what we know is that Jesus cleansed him from leprosy. And really what this is probably, this is probably a celebration of the miracle that has taken place. And so the world defined him by how they knew him, Simon the leper. And then we see in the next verse, a woman shows up. Now, when you look this up and you study it out, according to the gospels, uh, we know that this woman's name is actually Mary. Even in this version where it doesn't say her name, another book actually says it's Mary. And we know it's probably Mary, uh, Lazarus's sister. So you know the story of Mary and Martha. This is a place where she would be inserted into history to make a moment and to show us something that God wants us to see this moment. 
And so she is the sister of Lazarus. If you remember the story of Lazarus, um, he was sick. And Mary and Martha sinned for Jesus. Jesus, would you come and heal our brother? He's sick. Well, Jesus was on assignment somewhere else. And how many know he's never late? He's just always right on time. Well, when he gets there, the Bible says Lazarus has died and Jesus wept. So we know that Jesus and Lazarus must have had a great friendship for his heart to be stirred in such a way as it was. And Jesus said, no, he's not dead. He is sleeping. This has happened so that God would receive the glory. And we know the story. Jesus says, Lazarus, come forth. And the dead body of Lazarus comes back to life and he comes forth. God resurrected what was dead and brought it back to life. So this is at Mary. And they're celebrating a miracle. Simon the leper, been healed. Probably lots of miracles have taken place. It's interesting, the Bible says there were so many things that took place. Books could not contain all that he did. Even if the world tried, can you imagine just everywhere he went doing great things? And so the, the, the mentality is, you know, we're here together. And we find this woman, look at what happens. She came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume. Made of pure nard, she broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. And there are some who said to themselves indignantly, why was the ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they scolded her. Isn't that interesting how people will always scold what they don't understand? What I find interesting is nobody else brought a gift. She's the only one that brought the gift. Maybe they felt a little guilty. Maybe they felt a little uncomfortable. Maybe they felt like, man, we missed this opportunity, so they're going to make her feel less than. So they scolded her, and it says, but Jesus said, come on, let me know, God will always come to your defense. I can get a better amen than that. He'll always, don't ever try to defend yourself. Let God defend you. He says, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? This has been done. It's a beautiful thing for me. You will always have the poor with you. And whenever you want, you can do good for them. But you'll not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. Truly, I tell you, whenever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Man, what a powerful story. It's just inserted right here into the gospel. And, you know, it's just a normal dinner feast. How many have ever been out to eat with someone? You just went over to your friend's house, your family's house. Maybe you went out to the roadhouse. And you're going out. And in a moment that would have easily slipped past most people, there's a woman that's inserted into the gospel. And she has done something that has captured heaven's attention. Like all of heaven has turned and begun to focus on what happened. And, and that's what I want to share this morning. Like, what in the world got heaven's attention? What is it that she did and how did she do it so that Jesus said, as long as the gospel is preached everywhere it is, this story will have been told. And I think there's four things. The first thing, she gave an intentional gift. Mary came up to this party, to this dinner and she didn't show up empty-handed. And, and what we know, she's the only one that showed up with a gift to the house where Jesus would be. She was looking, it seems, for the right opportunity. She was looking for the right moment. She was looking, God, when am I going to do it? And she found a moment when most people were sleeping. She sees the moment and the opportunity. 
She was grateful. You don't give a gift like that without being grateful. That Jesus had brought back to life the thing that she loved the most. How many know a sister's love? Man, you can't destroy it. You can't be. There's something about it. And so here she is. She's seen all the things that Jesus did for others. But the gift like this is only given when she's experienced it herself. That Jesus has resurrected that which was dead. She had a heart of gratitude. See, while others came to receive, she's the only one that came to give. She came with the intentional gift. And I wonder today, you know, his legacy, we've been talking about this for eight weeks. How many of us came to give intentionally today? We ask God, you're the beginning of this, this, this journey, which we do every year. We never tell you what to give. We just ask you to ask God what he wants you to give. That God, what do you want me to give? What do you want me to come ready to give? What do you want me to be intentional about? It's 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7. It says, each of you should give what you have decided. Everybody say decided. Say it again. Say decided. Decided what? What I'm going to give. So I, I've decided. I'm not reluctant or under compulsion for God loves a cheerful giver. And I think about this often. The posture of Mary's heart, the gratitude, the thankfulness. You know, for me, if it wasn't for God and his saving grace, I would probably be dead and in hell right now. But God saved me in 2003 while I was on drugs, while I was high, while I was drunk. It was late at night, 1230 at night, about to go out and party again. God walks into my bathroom. I wasn't looking for God, but God came looking for me. And it is that heart of gratitude that I always come ready. It's like, God, if it wasn't for you, I wouldn't even be here. In light of his grace, in light of his mercy, in light of what he's done for us, it's the fact that, God, we're so grateful. I often think about us as Americans, and, and I realize the situation we find ourselves in. I realize, you know, we're in a COVID-19 uh, economy and that things are happening in society that make things uncertain for us. But though things are uncertain, I need you to know we don't serve a God who is uncertain. He doesn't change. He's the same yesterday. He's the same today and he'll be the same forever. And I've realized that no matter what's going on, that I'm going to come ready to say, okay, whatever you've spoken to me, there's a plan, there's a purpose, and there is a reason. Second thing is this, she gave sacrificially. When we look at Mary she didn't come to this place and just give a flippant something. She gave a gift that cost her. In fact, uh, when you study this out, it would be about a year's wages. So think about whatever you make in a year. Whatever that is, that number, whatever it is. That's what she brought to the feet of Jesus. She didn't bring a gift to Jesus that didn't cost her something. It cost her. There was great cost. And when you think about resources, think about this. What you're giving is not just the money, you're giving your time, your talent, your effort, your energy, all the things that you invested in the compensation that you received. So when she came ready, it wasn't just a flipping gift. It's like this gift has cost me my life and yet it doesn't matter what it's cost me, he is worthy. I'm gonna bring my best and I'm gonna lay it at the feet of Jesus and she understood that I'm not gonna give him something that has cost me nothing. 
And I think sometimes it's easy to come into church and we want to tip God. God's not a waiter. God's not a waitress. Like God is God. He's not looking just for your pocket change. You know, I, I find it's, it's very interesting here at the church. Uh, there, there's only a couple of times a year where we do an offering, well, one time an offering like this, and then a couple of series I'll do to help us grow financially. But I always look at this and put it all into perspective. You know, somebody will come into church and God will say, hey, give 100, 200, whatever the number is. And, and we're like, oh, God, that's a lot. Come on, it's going to cost me a lot. And yet we'll go to Apple and we'll buy AirPod Pros and not think twice about it. We'll go buy that new MacBook. We'll, we'll go buy the new Razor. We'll go, you see, you see what, what happens is the enemy wants you to sit in here and think, well, your little tip is good enough. Well, it is good if you're given to a church. But when we give, we don't give to a church. We give through a church to God. And God is always worthy of our best. I promise you, Visa and MasterCard, my mortgage, those things, they didn't bless my life. My God blessed my life. And if I can give them something good, I can give God something even better. She knew who she was giving the gift to. She knew that as she was there, she didn't care about the haters. She didn't care about anybody else. She said, I'm giving this gift to my Savior. And I recognize, look, for, for all of us, what we must understand is we're not looking at equal gifts, but we are looking at equal heart of sacrifice. Like everybody's in a different place. I recognize some people have been blessed right in the middle of COVID, more blessings than they can even talk about because it, it hurts other people who feel like they're missing out. And then you got people who are struggling. Maybe it's hard to pay rent. Maybe it's hard to pay your mortgage. Whatever it is, there's everything in between. But what I know is that God's not looking at the amount. God's looking at the sacrifice. That God, I'm gonna give something that costs me. It's not cheap. But it costs me. It's equal sacrifice. She gave what she had. Third thing is, she gave an extravagant gift. Extravagant. I mean, the disciples were there. And imagine it wasn't the religious that pop off to her. Think about that. It was Jesus' disciple. Oh, that's too much. Like we should have given that to the poor. We should have used that for something better. It seems just a little extravagant. And I love how Jesus just stops them and says, look, you're going to have the poor with you always, but you're not always going to have a moment. You're not always going to have this time. You're not always going to have me here. And so what the world calls extravagant, Jesus calls worship. Right? Because giving is not just we're putting money in a bucket. It's God, I worship you. Why? Because that gift took my life. How do you mean? Well, because I worked for it. It took my time, my talent. My, so when I give, it's actually an act of worship. God, I worship you. I put you in preeminence. God, I put you in the first place. God, I put you in the best place. God, I worship you with what it is that I'm giving to you. It's extravagant, extravagant. I think we must understand, and I know we're, we're not just a nonprofit. We're not just some organization. Do you know how God looks at the church? Like we are his bride. And so you don't just give to the church. You're giving through the church. I always look at that. 
God, anytime you speak to me, because see, here's how I know. God spoke to you. I didn't. God told you what to do. I didn't. Why? Because he knows, look, it's not about this organization. Yes, we're going to make an impact. Yes, we're going to see lives change. But really what I want you to do is understand you're given to me. And man, that gets God's attention. When we give and we say, God, I'm giving it to you. It's an access point where heaven touches earth, where miracles begin to happen in your life, where we have this moment. It's a divine moment. And I've seen it over and over again. Look, I pastored this church for seven and a half years, and I've seen moments like this change people's lives. Not because of the amount they gave, not because of just today, but it because they obeyed God. And God said, oh, you're going to be faithful in this. You watch what I do in your life. And I've seen lives radically turned around and changed. Why? Because God honors obedience. It's God doing what only God can do. And I, I want you to hear this and hear it clearly. The enemy doesn't mind if you give today. The devil doesn't care. You say, well, what do you mean, Pastor? He said, look, he don't care if you just give a little tip. He doesn't care if you kind of empty out your little pocket change. What he cares about is I don't want you to give extravagantly. He's the little voice in your head that says, oh, you can't afford that. That's, that's not wise. You can't do that. And what I always go back to is, I promise you, it wasn't the devil that put the amount in my head to give back to God. And you notice I said give back to God. Why? Because it's all his anyway. We are stewards. There's going to be a day where we stand before God in heaven, and he's going to say, what did you do with what I gave you? And resources and finances are a part of that conversation. See, the enemy knows 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will reap generously. And I want you to hear this from me. We don't give to get. We give to give. But I love that God's word remains true. That I just know it's part of God's DNA. When you try to outgive God, I've never heard of or seen anybody that's outgiven God. It's just a law of reciprocity. God, when I give, when I obey, the windows of heaven are open. And you just come in and you bless us as your people. Why? Because you're a funnel. You're not a damn. That money doesn't stop with you. Those resources don't stop with you. They flow through your life to the world. And he knows that you can be trusted. I was thinking about a story. My mom, uh, my dad recently passed uh, just, just over a month ago. And that's, that, that was a pretty tough hit, you know, as, as just a family. And yesterday we were thinking about dad. dad. Dad's watching from a different seat. He's watching from heaven's seat, cloud of witnesses. And when dad passed, one thing Steve and I and the family got around mom and we said, Mom, one of the things we're concerned about, tell us about how are you doing financially because dad brought in money and now dad's not around and tell us a little bit about that. And mom got this big smile on her face and she said, oh, God has blessed me so much. I said, tell us about it. What's going on? She said, well, in March when we did the miracle offering, when we were getting ready to buy that campus, the Lord really spoke to your dad and I. And we decided to obey and to go all in. God, it was the most we'd ever given. Felt like the Lord spoke to us. Your dad and I were in agreement, so we sowed it. And she said, I want you to know this, that now as we sit here today, we are debt free except for our mortgage. And before, come on, it's, it's awesome. It's, here's the amazing thing. Before that, they had a credit card debt. 
They had a car that wasn't paid off. And after they had obeyed God, God blessed them to pay. She said, we've never been in a better financial position than we are today. And here's another part of the miracle. I was talking to her between services. She said, one of the things is that Brandon is off at college. He's playing football. And she said, we just told him, Brandon, you're going to have to just get a loan for school. And she said, lo and behold, even after we had given, God made a way for him to not even go in debt. We're just paying his school off as we go. God's blessings continue to flow into our life. Why? Because they so generously. It's just the law of reciprocity. And I think the enemy is okay if you stay in a cycle of sowing just a little because he knows you'll reap just a little. It's not life changing. It's no, it's not a big deal. Like at least you feel good about it. But he knows the moment you grab a hold of God's word and you understand that if I'll obey God, breakthrough is coming. Whether it comes the way I think it is or not, breakthrough is coming because of obedience. Luke chapter 6, verse 38 says, give and you will receive. It's a biblical principle, law of reciprocity. You give forgiveness, you'll receive forgiveness. You give mercy, you'll receive mercy. You give financially, you'll receive financially. It's just the law of whatever seed you sow is what you harvest back in your life. And again, I want you to hear this giving financially. We don't give to get, we give to give. Look, if God, this is what I tell Phyllis, and I tell God all the time, listen, God, there's some things that I'm believing for. Phyllis and I wrote the biggest check that we've ever given to give in this offering today. And I just told her, listen, if God doesn't do a thing for us, if nothing happens, he's already done too much. He saved us, he delivered us, he set us free. So we're gonna give in this offering regardless. And I just think we understand that, but, but his word is faithful. You give, he's gonna give back. It says your gift will return. And now I want you to know it may not be the way you expect it. My mom told me a long time ago, she, she told me a story of a farmer that was praying for his crops. The community is experiencing a drought and he, he was believing God. He just said, God, you know, I give, I, I tithe, I'm a part of your system. And she said, you know, God, I'm asking you to protect my crops. Don't let this drought ruin us as a family. And he'd get up and he'd just pray, God, I, I thank you for the seed we sow. God, I thank you for the for the gifts we give, God, you protect us. And every day he's like, God, would you send the rain? Don't let the drought take our crops. Would you send the rain? And he just, he started to say, God, I'm, I'm frustrated. It's still not raining. There's a drought. What, what's going on? And so he goes out on the porch and he's arguing with God. He's like, God, look, I'm praying, but you're not answering. God, I, I, I thought you were going to send the rain. And God says, look out, son. How do your crops look? He said, they look healthy. God said, do you mind if I water your crops from the ground up? I think we got to remember the seed we sow may not come back the way you think. And that's okay because God knows exactly how we need it. And he is preparing for us for what God is. I think of the story of Bobby and Corey. Um, they sent me their story. I asked, he told me his story right after uh, the miracle offering in March. And in the middle of COVID, listen, COVID is a reality. I understand that. But I also understand that that's why God speaks to us because God has for us what is already coming in the future. He knows the seed that you need to sow for what you don't even know is coming. And look at Bobby and Corey. He says, Bobby says, Corey and I had 
two numbers to give when it came to the miracle offering in March. He said, after praying, we went with the higher one. Come on, that's how Phyllis and I do it. Who's got the higher number if we're not in agreement? So a week later, my boss told me that I was getting an additional performance bonus. The additional amount that I received was the same amount that we decided to give as our one-time gift. Tell me how cool God is. Not a little bit more, not a little bit less, the exact amount. And it keeps going. He says, recently, I said a week later, my boss told me that I was getting an, uh, recently Corey had to stop working because of COVID to make our budget work with one income. We considered stopping our moving forward pledge. That's the pledge that we decided as a church, we committed to give over and above for the next two years to help us move into this property in this location. They said, look, we considered stopping that. Again, after praying, we determined that we would stand firm. Everybody say stand firm. Stand firm on our commitment. It says again, about a week later, November 15th, I got, I got an out of cycle raise. Come on, how many like them out of cycle raise? The COVID raise that covered the gap in our budget and the moving forward pledge. And here it keeps going. Without Corey's salary, we don't bring in as much as we were, but God covered every need. The first paycheck with my new salary was at the same time as her last paycheck from her old job. Come on, somebody. In God, right on time. And I just love the fact that God knows exactly what he's setting you up for. I mean, only God can give you the exact amount that you gave. I mean, there's no, no like God knows. And I think that's why it's so important. Listen, as your pastor, I need to help cultivate you hearing from God. It's not about what the pastor said. It's about God. What do you want me to do? And someone said, well, what if I miss God? I promise you, if you miss God, God will find you. And I would rather miss God failing forward than walking backwards. And I have always found in my giving, when I give more, I don't know that God has ever in my life ever said that was a mistake. That was always the devil. And if I would hold fast to the promise, my breakthrough was on its way. So I look at this and I think here's, here's, here's the last thing. She gave a legacy gift. You know, we talk a lot about legacy. I'm 43 years young now. You know, 50, 60, all that doesn't sound very old to me anymore. But I believe for me, my eyesight, my eyesight is now on legacy beyond me. You know, you kind of hit that point where you're like, okay, I need to be thinking about the impact past me. And there was a moment for Mary, she sat there, she didn't even know what was happening. Think about this, her obedience is what positioned her for legacy. She didn't come in and say, oh, my gift's gonna make everybody look. No, no, no. She just had the right heart, she obeyed, she said, God, I'm gonna give sacrificially, I'm gonna be intentional, I'm gonna give extravagant. And when she did, all of a sudden, what was revealed is in those moments, you're giving for legacy. That the Bible says, as long and everywhere where the gospel is spoken, her story would be told. And I often think about that. Why would you tell that story? Because we have that same opportunity. God wants us to see that he's not limited by time and space. But this morning, we have an opportunity as a church, as individuals, to build a legacy that lives beyond ourselves. And it begins with the gifts we give. It's a legacy gift. And I just believe today it's a divine opportunity. It's a divine moment. 
It's an access point for us as believers to exercise our faith, to exercise the fact that we love you, God. We worship you. And that we're obeying what you've spoken to us. And here's what we know, that as we obey, the world sees and says, man, there is, what's going on over there? Like, they don't respond like everybody else responds. I'll tell you this, I'm not moved by the economy. I see the economy. I understand the election. There's turmoil. I'm not moved by the election. Of course, everybody has their own thoughts and opinion. Look, I'm not moved by the stock market. I watch the stock market. I got stocks. I know this. I am moved by the word of God. I stand on God's word, then my God is recession proof. He is society reproof. He allows our life to just be a constant that in the midst of famine, we can have prosperity. That in the midst of sadness and division, the church can have unity. We can have joy. Joy is not based on circumstance. Joy is based on position. That as I am close to God, he gives me a spirit of joy. That I walk through the pains that I walk through. Let me mean life's easy. I want you to know if you're a believer, life's going to be tough. I promise you this. The word of God was right when it said, there will be trouble. Like I get all the prosperity gospel and all those things, but I need you to know life's hard. Look, when you make your decision to give, don't think the devil's just going to lay down. Like, come on, man, I've given before and my car breaks down the next day. I'm like, ha ha. Somebody better come pick me up. Stinking devil. I know who this is. You just can't let the devil rob your faith in what God's doing. I will tell you this, that no matter what the devil has ever brought into my life, God has always superseded his actions. There have been a turnaround. What the devil meant to steal, kill, and destroy, God turned it around. Funny, my mom was talking to me yesterday, and we were... uh, celebrating. I called her after the groundbreaking. I said, hey, mama, how are you doing? I know dad, he'd be so proud. We were talking about that. And it was funny. I was just driving down the road, headed to my office to finish up this message. And she said, son, I'm so proud of you. Like, there's not a lot of people that could have done this. And, you know, you stood up and you said, said, we're going to do this and look at what we've done. And I said, mama, I don't think, I think there's a lot of more people smarter than me. And more talented than me. I said, I think the only thing I can say is I just have the gift of don't quit. (laughs) Right, I mean, I'm just gonna quit. COVID hits, we ain't quitting. People show up, don't show up, we ain't quitting. Like I'm telling you this, we're gonna build that building and we're gonna see thousands and thousands and thousands of lives come to know Jesus. We're going to see families restored. We're going to see marriages healed. We're going to see kids raised up as an army. And I think you've got to have that resolve. Today is that resolve. It's like I came ready to give. And if you didn't come ready to give, but God's speaking to you, say, I'm going to give. And then you just have to have that spirit. I ain't quitting. Devil, it doesn't matter what you throw my way. I'm going to stand on God's word. I'm not quitting. I'm believing for the harvest, for the breakthrough. And I know, here's what I always know. It's not even about you. It's about future generations. I teach my kids. We celebrate. It's like, look, just don't quit, baby. We sat around the table. They know the highs and lows. They know the banks that said no. They know when we had deficits. They know when people laughed and said, you'll never raise a million dollars. Yes, we will. We're going to raise $1.2 million. Why? Because God is just that good. Don't let the haters stop you. 
I was thinking, one of the stories I want you to hear, the last one is, is Jared and Tara. I didn't even know the fullness of their story. And I tell you these stories because I want you to get this. This will change your life. You want to know how Steve and I have done what we've done with our lives? It's because we learned these principles as a teenager and have implemented them every step of the way. Someone says, yeah, well, when I get more money, it'll get easier. No, baby, your zeros just get bigger. It's never easy. Why? Because God's always stretching you. Look, we bought the Dream Center. That was a stretch. We bought our new campus. That was a stretch. Listen, we buy and build our new next campus. That'll be a stretch. It may not be we need to raise a million. It'd probably be we need to raise 10 million. God's stretching. Look at what Tara and Jared said. Said, we gave in the miracle offering in March. It was a stretch gift. We really didn't have the money to give, but we felt like the Lord gave us a number, so we did it. We gave it all. We were obedient, even though our gift made us nervous. I love that. How many know when, when, when you're giving, God will always make you nervous? Why? Because he's stretching you. It says, as we gave in the offering, Pastor, you said to write down the greatest need that you had, that we were going to pray for God to do that need and fulfill it in your life. Well, we did what you said, but instead, Pastor, we didn't just write one thing down. We wrote three things down. And we're believing God for the first one was Jared's eyesight. The second one was financial freedom. And the third one is that Tara would get pregnant. Fast forward to today. Look at what she says. I want you to know Jared's eyesight. This summer, he qualified to get cornea transplant and had the surgery in July for his left eye and is now able to see clearly out of both eyes. And the out-of-pocket expenses were, co uh, were covered by a check that we received that was totally unexpected. God paid for the whole surgery. Second thing, financial freedom. I want you to hear this. They gave more than they've ever given, nervous, and yet look at what God said, or she said that we were able this year in the middle of COVID to pay off half our debt this year through unexpected financial blessings right in the middle of COVID. They didn't go into debt, they're paying it off. Here's the third thing. I thought this was so precious. So we've been trying for four years to get pregnant. The fourth year, 2019, we went to the fertility doctor. We did four rounds of ovulation induction, but we didn't have success with the fertilization. We took a break last December, 2019. We're gonna restart back in March, but Pastor Cornelius Lindsay, my dear friend, how many love Pastor Cornelius? He said he came up for first Wednesday, March 4th, and my word for the year was pursue. And I remember Pastor Cornelius saying to me, you're desperately pursuing fertility doctors when you need to desperately pursue God. So we decided not to go back to the fertility doctor at all. We listened to what God spoke to us. We got his confirmation and we were faithful to give it. We put it all in God's hands. Then COVID happened and our fertility doctor called and said he was stopping treatments anyway. Tell me that ain't God. He already knew it was going to stop. All because of COVID-19. Then on May 12th, Mother's Day, we discovered miraculously, we are pregnant. <laughs> Only God could do that. And so now their beautiful baby is due January 15th. Miracle working God. 
working on our behalf. Why? Because God, we're, we're giving gift to you. God, we, we honor you. We cherish you. We obey you. Obedience unlocks the breakthrough. And now it's our turn to respond, whether you're here physically or you're online. And it's our turn to break the jar. And Phyllis and I, we've been talking about this with our family for quite some time. And it's the largest gift we've ever given. And you know what's funny? Last year, we gave the largest gift we'd ever given. And you know what's funny? The year before that, we gave the largest gift we'd ever given. And the year before that, and it's, it's so amazing because I told her, you know, we got plans. We, we, we were doing something else. And I just told her, I said, man, I just know God. And she's like, yes. And we're like, come on, let's do it. We're talking about it back in the, in the dressing room. God is so faithful. And so we come ready and we're saying, God, we're going to do whatever you speak to us. What's going to be the story that's told about you? Will it be a story of faith? Will it be a story of sacrifice? Will it be a story of extravagance? Will it be a story of legacy? Here's what I, I want to do as we walk into it. I want to say thank you to every person who has ever given to get us to this point. You are legacy givers. Sowing your lives. I mean, think about this. Some of you are brand new. You're reaping the seed that someone else sowed so that you could be here. And I always look at it. God, okay, we're sowing for future generations. What you're going to do. That building will live from now until Jesus comes back with people whose lives are being changed, with marriages that are being healed, with the lost being saved, just as Mary's brother was raised from the dead. We're going to see our friends, our family, our community go into that building spiritually dead, but come out spiritually alive, having been resurrected by the power of God. And here's what I always look at. From now till eternity, we get a reward for that in heaven. We're going to meet people. Think about this. When we're dead and gone, we're going to meet people. And there's like, because of you, I'm here. Think about the significance of that. That's the kind of giving I want to be a part of in my life. I, I don't want to just do something that's nice here on earth. I want an eternal reward where it marks eternity. And that's what we get to be a part of. 